Welcome to Mammal Talk, the companion podcast for the Blood Bowl Mid-Atlantic Mauling League. Week 2 of the Chaos Cup is underway, and it has been murderous. We're talking about the game so far and what to expect from the upcoming games. Man, what a Chaos Cup it has been so far. We're midway through week two, and there's already been three deaths, I think? It it has been madness. In this episode, we are talking about some of the tactics in this week's games, as well as speculating on what the remaining games in the week might be. We'll talk about some of the basics of Blood Bowl. So without further ado, let's get underway. Welcome to episode four. In this episode, we'll talk about the last two games of week one and the first two games of week two. Week one ended with Pips Pippy Fan Club versus The Neglected of Nuffle and with a reptile dysfunction versus Take the Wood, Take the Bad. We'll talk about the Pips Pippy Fan Club game first. This was El Nuberino's team. They are a lizard man team. They were up against The Neglected of Nuffle. This is a pro-elf team coached by War Horseman. Uh, when I say pro-elves, that's a synonym for Elven Union. This is Lizardmen teams are very bashy. Elven teams are not, right? Elven teams are very quick and high agility. They're really, they're really defined by their high agility and their speed. So a, a Lizardman team wants to go hard with the bashy game, all things being. And we saw El Nuberino do this. They have... The Sarses with a strength of four. They have the Croxagore with a strength of five. They want to leverage that strength. They're one of, if not the strongest team in Blood Bowl. Strong meaning literally they, their strength stat is just very, very good. And they want to take advantage of that. They want to take blocks. They want to mark players. They want to block players down. And if they can get a player advantage, that's all the better. Even if they can't, blocking down players, tying up players with that high strength, is very valuable to move a cage around the pitch. They're not very agile, but they don't need it if they can leverage that strength. And El Nuberino did that very well. This game ended 2-1 to in Pips Pippi Fan Club's favor. War Horseman, with the neglected of Nuffle, took an early lead, took four-turn TD. He was on offense in, turn, in uh, the first half, used the speed of Elves to score early, which was very good. The problem, this is the tricky part with Elves, is if you score too early, especially against a team as strong as Lizardmen, and it's such a tough call, but if you score too early, you give the opposing team a lot of time to score in the same half. And we saw that in this game. The first half ended one to one. Scoring turn four was pretty late, uh, really, for an Elvish team. Generally, you could see Elves score in two or three turns. And generally they want to because they're so fragile with that AV of seven that the longer they're on offense, the more they're taking hits. When we talk about AV, that's the armor value. An AV of seven means on a 2d6, if you roll two six-sided dice, you need to beat a seven, a sum of seven. It's an eight plus. Now that sounds kind of average-ish to the layman, right? You hear, oh, you need to beat a seven. The highest is 12. Ah, that's about, about the middle. Not really. And that's because there are multiple ways to roll certain sums on two dice. To roll a two, you need two ones. There's only one way to roll a two, but there's two ways to roll a three. You could roll a one and a two, 
or you could roll a two and a one. There's even more ways to roll a four, more ways to roll a five, and so on. It's a it's a bell curve if you think of it all the way up. Yeah, it gets to the top and then comes back down when you roll a twelve. The only way to roll a twelve is two sixes. So there are lots of ways to roll eights, nines. There are a few ways to roll tens, a couple of ways to roll eleven, one way to roll a twelve. All of those rolls will break armor. And so an AV of seven is very fragile. There are lots of die rolls that will result in armor breaks. So AV7 is not not as average as it sounds. In fact, it's, it sounds better than average, right? You're like, oh, the middle six, seven's not bad. Seven's really bad. And so as elves, you don't want to take those hits. We've seen War Horseman play his elvish team fairly aggressively. And that's worked out tactically in a number of situations. The problem is strategically, in the long run, it it tends to mean your team gets chewed up. And we've seen that in week one and week two. We'll talk about the week two game with Neglected of Nuffle a little bit later in the episode. But Neglected of Nuffle came out with an early 1-0 lead with a, a turn four TD. The Pips Pippy fan club came back, scored on turn eight. And by then there were only five elves left on the pit. So El Nuberino took the, the marks he was given, took the blocks he was given and made those blocks and it worked out for him. It's very easy to take elves off the pitch. When you are in the coin toss phase, I it's hard to figure out who won the coin toss in Blood Bowl 2. Uh, unless you're playing the game yourself, you can't see the coin toss phase during a, uh, a live stream. So w- we don't know who won the coin toss. But when you're an Elven team, it is almost always a good bet if you win the coin toss to be on defense first. And that's for a couple of reasons. One, this will be your guaranteed strongest defense. This will be... The only time in the game where you're guaranteed to have all 11 players on the pitch. By the time the second half starts, it's very likely you're going to have some players off the pitch, either knocked out or injured or worse, dead. So if you go on defense first, you will have as many people to defend with as you possibly can guarantee. That's number one. But number two, you have a lot more agency on defense as an Elvish team to decide how many hits you're going to take. On offense... You're trying to score and your opponent's trying to stop you. So it's hard to avoid hits that way, especially as an Elvish team. As an Elvish team, you tend to want to throw people down pitch, pass the ball to them and and score early. Really, I think Dark Elves are maybe the only exception to that. Dark Elves are, are a decidedly runny, el- runny uh, running game Elvish team. But Pro Elves are fine with passing. Pro Elves like to pass. And that means you're going to have lots of players down pitch who can get marked, who can get blitz, who can get hurt. On defense, you can decide how aggressive you want to get. You can pull players back. You can force your opponent to just take a blitz each turn. And generally, that's what you want to do, at least in my opinion. You don't want to give up hits. You you absolutely can't afford to give up hits when, when almost all of your players are AV set. So that's why if you win the coin toss as an Elvish team, you tend to want to be on defense first. Uh, Elvish quick scoring. For the exact same reasons, because you don't want to take hits. Quick scoring is usually the name of the game with an Elvish team, but then you run into a problem with losing out to a 2-1 grind. If you are a quick team and you score early, if, or rather if you're a fragile team and you score early, you give your strong opponent an opportunity to score in the same half, and then in the second half when he's on offense, he can just hold on to the ball and try to score late in the second half, to pull out a 2-1 win. That's a 2-1 grind. That's very tricky to play against if you're on offense as an Elvish team. I think War Horseman did a really good job of scoring 
of scoring fairly late for an Elvis team. Uh, you know, turn four is not that late, but it's pretty late. That's that's the end of the first quarter. And I think that was a good job trying to mitigate, you know, giving your opponent enough time to score versus giving your opponent more time to hit you is one of the trickier aspects of coaching an Elvish team. And I think War Horseman uh, did a fairly good job of that in the first half. In the second half, the aggressive play really ate him up, unfortunately, and he just was not left with a number of players on the pitch. By turn 15, he had he had one player left on the pitch, just one. And at that point, at that point, you have to root to table a person, right? When we use the word table in miniatures games, tabling someone is when you take all of their miniatures off the board, off the table. And so with one player left, you, you really want to see it just for the drama. Didn't work out. But that's what happens when you get aggressive with elves. Pips 50 fan club. El Nuberino, he, he's a good Blood Bowl coach. And it, it showed in this game for sure. We saw him last season coach a Skaven team with great effect. This is a very different sort of team. Uh, Lizardmen team. It was a question if he could play that as well as he could play Skavens. And the, the answer is squarely, yes, he can. He understands how the Lizardmen team works. He understands how to use that high strength. But what I found really interesting is he understands good fouling. Fouling in Blood Bowl, if a player is prone on the pitch, you get one foul a turn, if you like. And a foul is a straight armor roll. But if you roll doubles on the armor roll or the injury roll, if there's an injury roll, then you're called off the pitch. The the referee spots you, calls you off the pitch, and you're out for the rest of the game. So that's the risk with a foul. If you don't have bribes or some skill to mitigate fouling, then when you foul is a strategic decision you have to make. And remember, coaches are making these decisions constantly. There are a ton of decisions to make in Blood Bowl, much more than than many, many games you might be familiar with. You know, there's a lot more decisions in Blood Bowl than, say, chess. I know that sounds odd. Not that chess is an easy game by any means, but there are just a lot more decisions to make. And you're under a time limit of two minutes a turn. So these coaches have to make all these decisions very quickly. El Nuberino understands with fouling that if you foul too early, you could get caught off the pitch. You get caught off on doubles. There are a number of ways to roll doubles on a 2d6, right? And if you get an injury on the foul, you're rolling 2d6 twice. So it's fairly risky to take a foul. It's often a bad idea to take a foul if you are going to get caught off and give your opponent a player advantage. But if you have a significant player advantage, there's almost no reason not to foul. And we saw El Nuberino navigate those waters very deftly. He understood good fouling. When you foul, you can also get an assist uh, for every friendly player adjacent to the fouler that is not in an opponent's tackle zone, very similar to blocking. They'll give a plus one to the armor roll. So we saw we saw El Nuberino play a, a very good game, pulled out a 2-1 victory, almost tabled the team. But I don't I don't think it was that big of a deal for War Horsemen. Elves, if you can't field a full 11 players in your game, which War Horsemen would not be able to do in week two, then you pick up journeymen. Journeymen are your standard linemen with the loner skill. You don't have to pay for them. You only get them for the game. But they do count against your TV. So it's whatever your standard lineman cost, that'll count against your TV. You don't have to pay the money out of your treasury, but it will count against your TV. So it'll count against any inducement. And if they get any SPP, they are eligible for SPP. And if they get SPP, you can you can purchase them at the end of the game. If you purchase them, they lose the loaner skill. But 
the elven linemen are so good. Their stat line is so good that the journeymen aren't that bad. The journeymen are actually pretty, pretty decent players. The only problem with them is the loner skill. If you're unfamiliar with the loner skill, before you take a, if you decide to take a team reroll, you spend the team reroll first, and then you roll a d6 on a four plus. You pass the loner roll and may then spend the TRR like normal. But on a one, two, or a three, you're not allowed to use the TRR. So you already spent it, but you can't use it. That's the problem with loner. So these journeyman linemen have great stat lines, but they have the loner skill. So generally, really all it impacts is your action order. If you have a team full of journeymen, that can become a problem. But if you have a team with two journeymen, three journeymen, perhaps, on, on an elvish team like this, not that big of a deal. You just have to pay attention to your action order, and you're you're usually fine. So he came out of this game with a loss, 2-1. to one. Came out of this game with only one player left on the pitch at the end of the second half, but really not that big of a ding going into Week 2. And we'll talk about his Week 2 game in just a second. But the last game of Week 1 was a reptile dysfunction versus take the wood, take the bad. A reptile dysfunction coached by the current league champion, Nick Satan. Uh, take the wood, take the bad. My team, coached by me. And this was another Lizardman versus Elf game. A Reptile Dysfunction, a Lizardman team. Take the Wood, Take the Bad is an Elvish team, but this time instead of Pro Elves, they're Wood Elves. So the difference is Wood Elves have nothing but AV of 7. They do have the War Dancers, though. War Dancers are insanely strong players. War Dancers have a movement allowance of 8. That means they can move 8 spaces every single turn. A strength of three, which is pretty average, which is not bad considering their movement allowance and agility are so strong. Their agility is a four and their armor value is a pitiful seven. But if that wasn't enough, they come with the block skill. They come with the dodge skill. They come with the leap skill. So they have block and dodge. They have an AG of four, a decent strength of three, and a fantastic movement allowance of eight. Block and dodge, sometimes known as blodge means to knock down that player, there's only one face on the block die that will knock them down, and that's the d defender down. I'm not sure what the actual term for the, the face is, but there's only one face that'll knock them down. That's really, really strong. With an AG of four in the dodge skill, dodging is very easy. With an AG of four, any AG roll is pretty easy unless there's lots of negative modifiers on it. Passing is easy, catching is easy, dodging is easy. They're really strong players. I, I think they might actually be the best players in all of Blood Bowl. And the leap skill. The leap skill means they get to jump over a player. So they can move two spaces away. They don't have to dodge out of the space they're in when they leap. They have to make an AG roll, but you have an AG of four. So War Dancers do everything. They, they can be blitzers. They can be receivers. They can be cage busters, right? They can leap into a cage. I mean, it's really strong. If you can... Block down a corner of a cage, leap in a war dancer, you have a really good chance of getting at that ball, especially if you level up the war dancer and give them the strip ball skill. Then they are a nightmare against cage teams. Take the wood, take the bad. Their lineup's two war dancers. Everybody else is a lineman. The linemen have fantastic stats. We you know, we talked about this with the Pro Elf team, but the the linemen on Wood Elves have seven MA, three strength, four agility, seven AV. So they lose an, they lose one point in MA. They don't have any skills, but otherwise they're fantastic. They have a decent strength of three. They have fantastic AG of four. Fantastic players. 
any one of these players can still be a receiver. Any one of these players can still throw decent blocks. Any one of these players can still throw. Really, really strong team, I think, the Wood Elf team. Uh, one of the, uh, and I mean that in terms of the game, one of the better teams in Blood Bowl, again, in my opinion. So we saw Elf versus, versus Lizardmen. Nick Satan won the coin toss. Nick Satan, again, league champion. He knows what's up. He knows that take the wood, take the bad, wants to be on defense first. So he says, nope, I won the coin toss. You're going to be on offense first. Fair enough. Take the wood, take the bad, receive the ball, and being elves, score on turn two. Very quick score. Uh, it was a touchback. The ball went into the hands of one of the war dancers. War dancers moved forward on turn two, scored. That's a very early score. Take the wood, take the bad, wanted to do that to avoid taking undue hits turn after turn. Plus, they were in a little bit of a precarious situation with that war dancer. But scored early enough to allow a reptile dysfunction to score at the end of the half. So at the end of the half, the game was tied up one to one. That's a problem because a reptile dysfunction gets the ball back in the second half. They ended up scoring in the second half to go up 2-1 and take the wood, take the bad. Had enough time to tie the game at the end, but made an error. In fact, take the wood, take the bad. This is my team, by the way. Made two made a number of errors to the game, but two really critical ones. One was at the end of the first half when a reptile dysfunction went to score. They had the ball in the hands of a skink. Take the wood, take the bad. Blitzed with a lineman. Actually knocked the ball out of the hands of the skink, but the problem was now this lineman was marked and the ball was very close to the end zone. So take the wood, take the bad. Had to pitch the ball. Had to do something with it. Just picking up that ball wasn't enough. So tried a cheeky pass. Didn't work out. And a reptile dysfunction was able to score off of that failed pass. What take the wood, take the bad should have done instead was there was there was a war dancer in range. The war dancer was stood up to mark a Saurus. And this is important play with elves that we'll talk about in just a second. But stood up the war dancer to mark a Saurus and then bliss with the lineman. Instead, should have moved the lineman to mark the Saurus, then stood up the war dancer to dodge away from the Saurus, then take the GFI blitz against the skink to pick up the ball. And what that would have done is a couple of things. On the surface, that seems very risky. And this was the mistake I made in the moment. You have to stand up the war dancer because you're standing up. Whenever you're prone, whenever you stand up, it costs three MA. So now the war dancer is down to five MA. Can't move as far. When you're done moving, you can do what's called a go for it. You get up to two Additional spaces you may move, but you have to roll for each space. You roll a d6, and on a one, you trip and fall. Standing up the war dancer first has to dodge out of a tackle zone. That's one die roll. Then has to spend two GFIs. That's two more die rolls. Then has to make the block. That's a fourth die roll. That seems very risky. But when you weigh that against the lineman who had to take a very poor pass roll, and then you, you hope for the, the reception roll as well, it was a better outcome. And the reason is the war dancer has the block skill, has an AG of four. It was a positive dodge, which meant the dodge would have only failed on a one. Can take the block with the block skill that gives the war dancer the advantage on the block, could have picked up the ball and then didn't need to pass it. Could have held on to it because the skinks only have a strength of two. Sure, he would have eaten at least one block, maybe two, uh, maybe even more. I think, I think he had three skinks marking the ball, the ball carrier. But 
the war dancer has block and dodge. He would have had a better chance at holding on to that ball than the lineman had at passing the ball. I think passing the ball was like a one third chance of. So that was the first mistake. If that could have happened, take the wood, take the bad could probably have either punted the ball or run it up pitch might've scored. If they went up 2-0 in the ha- at the half, that would have been great. But at the very least, they could have stopped the score and prevented a reptile dysfunction from scoring at the end of the first half to tie it up. Nick Satan, very good player, has played a number of teams. Most have been pretty heavy. He played Chaos in Season 1, played Ogres of all teams in Season 1, and now has picked up Lizardmen. Uh, has proven himself time and again when it comes to strong teams, when it comes to bashy teams, how to play them, and he can play them well. So there was there was no question... Once he picked up the ball, you know, he understood how to move that ball down. A reptile dysfunction picked up the ball in the second half. We saw take the wood, take the bad, play very conservatively on defense. So the defense I tend to prefer, you have to put three men on the line. You have to do that for a legal formation. But then I move, I move everybody back. They're off the line, two spaces. And I'll line them up too deep. In other words, they'll be in columns down the pitch, two players. And I'll spread them out two spaces apart. So what this does is it exerts tackle zones all around these two players. And so I'm taking up as much space as I can across the pitch. I could take up more space if I didn't go too deep. I could screen out the whole pitch. The reason I don't is because against a really heavy, bashy team like Lizardman with that high strength, all they have to do is blitz one of my players. If I just went, if I screened straight across with just one man all the way across the, the pitch, he could blitz one player now he has a hole open, and it's going to be really tough for me to close that hole. If I put two players back, he can blitz a player, but now that player is in a risky spot. That player is now in tackle zones. They, there is no hole to blitz through uh, to to push the ball through. And if he stays where he is, I could blitz him away. So that's why I like to play that way. Um, and for the most part, that worked out pretty well. I used my ward answers to harangue his his cage. Almost got the ball back. Didn't quite happen. <laughs> uh, Nick Satan played very well. Ended up scoring. Went up 2-1. Uh, this was turn 15, I want to say. I think it was turn 15. Take the wood, take the bag. Got the ball back. Had two turns to score. Almost did it. Got a war dancer down pitch. Got the ball to the war dancer. The war dancer was just a few spaces away from the end zone. Nick Satan and a reptile dysfunction moved some, uh, some skinks down to cover. And I just, I made a very bad decision in the moment, too. I played, I, I really like playing humans. Humans are my favorite team in Blood Bowl. They're so versatile. They're not, I wouldn't say they're that great per se, but they're definitely my favorite race to play. And I, I just fell into human habits. I tried to to blitz away a player, to try to get off a pass. Really what I should have done is I should have just jumped the war dancer <laughs> over the defending skinks and walked the ball into the end zone to, to tie the game. But that's Blood Bowl. Uh, bad, you know, when you're on a two-minute time limit, you, you make mistakes. And it cost me. But it was very well played by Nick Satan through and through. And a very deserving win. When you're up against a strong Blood Bowl player, mistakes are exacerbated. You have to be on your game to, to, to beat your opponent. Or else he will show you no mercy. <laughs> Again, Pips Hippie Fan Club, we saw that against Neglected of Nuffle. He got, he got a team down down to one player on the pitch. So very good game by Nick Satan. I think it was a good game uh, for both teams. Very, very sort of classic matchup. Uh, it was super fun to play. And Nick Satan got his, his first win in week one. 
Week two kicked off with a reptile dysfunction again, this time against Nehide and Nuffle. Nehide and Nuffle coached by Clypheus. Clypheus is the Batter Bowl champion. The Batter Bowl is the off-season competition. This year it was a mixed competition. Nehide and Nuffle was in first place, winning 3-0 in their first week game. It was a top table game and it showed. These were two very strong teams. This was Lizardmen versus Chaos Dwarf, two very bashy teams, Bash versus Bash. That has to be murder ball, right? That has to result in lots of injuries, and indeed it did. Well, not necessarily lots of injuries, but lots of knockdowns, lots of hits, and it did. In fact, it ended up with injuries as well. But uh, yeah, both teams played very capably, played very smart. It was a super fun game to watch. This one ended in a draw, 1-1 draw, uh, I think... Nehide and Nuffle in turn one. Nehide and Nuffle was on offense in turn one, and they spread their offense too thin. So when you're a bashy team, you tend to want to group up, and you want to do that to take advantage of the skills you as you have as a bashy team. You want to take advantage of block skill, which dwarves have in spades. You want to get assists. Later on, when you pick up guard, you want to get guard uh, in action and play. So bashy teams tend to want to group together, and that is exemplified on offense by the cage. Nehide and Nuffle did, well, no, they, they tried to cage up on offense in the first half, but ended up with an offensive screening line almost, not a screen, but they had five players in front of the ball carrier, really couldn't get anything going in terms of protection on the ball carrier. They were just spread too thin. They were trying to get hits, which you want to do as a bashy team, but if you're trying to score, you've got to weigh the pros and cons of that. So what ended up happening in the first half was there were three groups of players across the pitch. There were the group where the ball carrier was, there was a group at center pitch, and there was a group over in the left wide zone. And each one of these were just sort of boxing matches. Uh, I think Nehide and Nuffle would have been better served consolidating those players, trying to keep that team cohesion together so he can get those assists, so he can prevent assists coming back on defense. If you have players grouped together... Then when the defense tries to get an assist, they won't be able to because they'll be in, in a tackle zone of one of your players. So a reptile dysfunction kicked off. Nehide and Nuffle was on offense in the first half. The ball ended up changing possession on turn four. Nick Satan used the skink speed really well, did a block into a surf, and that block resulted in the ball getting thrown back into the pitch at mid-pitch where he picked the ball up with a skink and used that high skink speed to just sprint that ball down pitch. Oddly enough, Nick Satan lost a lot of players. The players aren't very, the skinks aren't very resilient, but he ended up losing Saurus's. Clypheus and Nehide Enuffle went after those Saurus's, took them off the pitch, and to his credit, he had a very strong player advantage going into the second half of the game. Going into the second half, Nick Satan decided to cage up with the linemen, meaning he caged up with the players he had set up on the line at the kickoff. And I think that was a mistake. What that allowed was Clypheus on his turn to take the blocks back with his defensive tackles and then go in for the blitz, which is exactly what he did. I think Nick Satan would have been better served if he set that cage up behind the line, maybe pulled some players in to cage up behind the line, or maybe he didn't even need that cage on the first turn his prerogative as a coach, but, but caging up with linemen, that's the risk. Those linemen on the front of the cage 
can take blocks immediately, and then a blitz can come in on the ball carrier. That's exactly what happened. Clifius picked up the ball and held on to that ball for most of the game. In fact, Nick Satan was left with five players on the pitch at one point. <laughs> that was really fun to see. <laughs> but owing to how good of a player he is, he used those five players very well. He ended up almost getting this ball back away from Nehide and Nuffle. Couldn't make it work. I think at the end of the game, there was a missed opportunity with a blitz on the ball carrier. I think he could have blitzed if he chose his action order a little differently, but perhaps he chose it that way because he was saving players. He didn't want to lose any more skinks right at the end of the game when he was resigned to a draw. But otherwise, man, he he got his money worth, money's worth out of those five players. Played it fantastically. Clifeus, uh, a little risky there at the end, thinking uh, he could stall for one more turn. Uh, he, he was able to, but man, <laughs> my heart skipped a beat when, when he did that. But ended up scoring... They played to a draw. That was a 1-1 draw to start the second week. That was a ton of fun. And that it that really exemplified how well these two players play Blood Bowl. The final game that has been played so far was Neglected of Nuffle versus Tracksuit Mafia. Again, Neglected of Nuffle, a pro-elf team. Tracksuit Mafia, coached by Merrick. Merrick is the current reigning Chaos Cup champion. He played Dwarves. In season one, Tracksuit Mafia is a pure chaos team here in season two. The name of the game with chaos teams is murder. Chaos teams, we can call them bashy, but really they are about death. Chaos teams are chaos teams are, are strong because they have access to mutations, and really you want to start piling on. There's a very powerful combo you can put on these players. You can put Claws, Mighty Blow, and piling on on players. You get one, two players with that, and they will murder everyone. So, as a Chaos team, you just want to, you really want to take hits, or, or make hits, rather. You just want to get that player advantage. You want to take players off the pitch. You want to take players out of their careers. You, you want to injure. And the sooner you can level up your players, the better. Merrick played... Tracksuit Mafia, a little more like a Dwarvish team, honestly. Uh, played it, he caged up on offense, was focused on the ball, moved it down pitch, and played it well. He played it to a win. Uh, and that's his prerogative, too. You can certainly play Chaos that way. But, man, I would have loved to see... <laughs> we saw Nick Satan play Chaos uh, a little more murdery in Season 1, where there were games where he was on offense at the beginning of a half or the beginning of the game, and he just left the ball on the pitch. He didn't even pick it up. He just went after the players and tried to murder them. <laughs> I think Merrick has realized this. It's only week two, so I'm a little sad that he's already realized it because <laughs> now I'm going to have to deal with it. But <laughs> he, I think he's realized it and is probably going to shift to a more murdery approach. He was uh, speaking on leveling up his players and what he was going to choose. And I think I think he's going to go for, for murder ball moving forward. So that'll be fun. <laughs> but he was up against this elvish team. So neglected of Nuffle, even more so than week one, really needed to be careful to, to keep their players from taking hit. Again, War Horseman played it fairly aggressively. And that worked out for a while. That worked out for... That was, it was a pretty solid first half, but 
ultimately caught up with him. Tracksuit Mafia was able to get those hits in. And uh, I mean, that, that's how it goes. <laughs> so Tracksuit Mafia ended up winning two to zero in that game. And I think that came down to Merrick, of course, a, a good coach in his own right, deciding to play chaos in a way that benefits the chaos lineup, benefits their strategy, even though it wouldn't be the way I played it, right? I'd play, I'd play murder ball with him. He played a little more cagey, a little more bashy. But Neglected of Nuffle was getting real aggressive, and and that, that hurts Elvish teams. Neglected of Nuffle, I think if they want to keep their, their team alive, needs to be more cautious on defense. But to his credit, you know, it's clear that War Horseman is playing to win games, right? I, I would play an Elven team to think about the long term, think about the competition or even the league, right? I want to keep my players alive. I got to keep my players alive. But really, at the end of the day, the only way you're succeeding is if you win games. And you're only going to win games if you're going after that ball. And War Horseman, War Horseman went after that ball. Even when he was down players, he went after that ball. Even toward the end of the second half, where he was down a lot of players, where there was no way he was cracking that cage, he went after the ball to crack the cage. So that's a little scary <laughs> when you know you have an opponent in the league who is willing to do that. He's willing to to go for the win. Uh, it shows a lot of courage. And it, it shows uh, the determination to get that ball back. So you can never feel safe against an opponent like this. You can never rest on your laurels. You may go, yeah, I'm, I'm in the lead. What's he going to do? Go after the ball carrier? Yes, he is. <laughs> he is going to go after the ball carrier. And there's going to come a time, there's going to come a play where that's going to work out. So you have to be on your toes. And I really respect having a coach like that in the league because it, it really shakes things up. One thing I really like about Blood Bowl is how much agency you have. So there's all sorts of different players on all sorts of different teams with all sorts of different skills and stat lines that can take all sorts of different actions in all sorts of different orders. But then on top of that, you have all sorts of different coaches that have all sorts of different styles that they can apply to these teams from the lineups they choose to the, the staff that they pick up, whether that's cheerleaders or coach assistants or team rerolls to how they use inducement money to how they save money or spend money in the treasury to how they play turn after turn. It is so exciting and so fascinating to see. Really, it's very much like a fighting game like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat or Guilty Gear uh, or Blaze Blue. It's, it's so fun to see the myriad ways that coaches can approach these two teams. Again, War Horseman coaching a, an Elvish team fairly aggressively. Merrick coaching a Chaos team fairly bashy, fairly uh, conservatively, uh, and it working out. So uh, very exciting to see. Tracksuit, Mafia currently in first place with that win. We've got three games left in week two. A minor matter versus Take the Wood, Take the Bad. That is Underworld versus Wood Elves. I think Take the Wood, Take the Bad are going to play exactly the same way they played against Lizardmen. I think they're going to score when they can, and on defense they're going to try to save their players. A minor matter coached by newcomer Artificial Bunny. Underworld teams are tough, I think, especially when they're new, when they're at low TV. They're really hard to get started. 
they have similar benefits to chaos. They have access to mutations and having access to mutations means that once you start leveling up players, you can kit them out however you want. There's a lot of variability in underworld teams that you can leverage and really kit them out to play to your style. And so they can be real menacing once they start to pick up some TV. It'll be really interesting to see how Minor Matter is going to play this team because we don't know yet. We've never seen Artificial Bunny play except uh, in week one here in this season, one game with Underworld which is nothing but question marks. So it's very exciting to see what where he's going to take this team. But still week two, so still doesn't really have the TV. It's really hard to keep those that frail lineup together when you're playing Underworld. They have a whole bunch of players that are Avia 7. They have Goblins and a number of Skaven that are Avia 7. As we talk about, Avia 7 is very weak. Plus, they have animosity on the Skaven. So this is a uh, quote-unquote mixed team. It's mixed with goblins and Skaven. The Skaven don't like the goblins, so there's a die roll that has to happen if the ball's going to exchange hands between the two, where the ball may not actually exchange hands. The Skaven might just refuse to. So it's a very tough team to sort of get started when they're at low TVs. But once they start to once they start to roll, they can become very menacing. He's got three TRRs, a uh, very solid lineup. He's coming in with 11 players. He started... The competition with 12, lost a player. I think it was I think it was a Skaven thrower. I think he had two, or it might have been a Skaven lineman. I'm not sure. But I, I think take the wood, take the bad. I, honestly, I think they have the advantage here. I think it's their game to lose. Uh, but we just don't know. We don't know how Artif Artificial Bunny is going to play. I think take the wood, take the bad just needs to play a solid D, not give up the hits on defense. On offense, they can score whenever they want. And uh, hopefully that'll be a victory for Take the Wood, Take the Bad. But Artificial Bunny may have some tricks up his sleeve for a low TV underworld team. We'll see. Game two, or I guess game four for week two, will be Pity the Ghoul versus Pip, uh, Pip's Pippy Fan Club. Pip's Pippy Fan Club, as we've mentioned, they are a Lizardman team. Pity the Ghoul is a Necro team. Necro teams, I think, are also kind of hard to play. Uh, Dead Fred is the coach of Pity the Ghoul. One, one is matching week one. So he's paired up against El Nuberino here against this Lizardman team. I think the Lizardman team has the advantage uh, just because Necro is so much harder to play, in my opinion. Uh, Dead Fred played it very well in week one. So maybe it's not hard for him. I think it's hard. <laughs> but I think the key players on a Necro team are the Flesh Columns and the Werewolves. The Flesh Golems have that crucial strength of four. They have Stand Firm as well. The Werewolves have Claws and Frenzy, plus a fantastic stat line. They have 8 MA and 3 AG, 3 Strength. So a fairly resili resilient team with most players having an AV of 8. I think if Dead Fred focuses on using the Flesh Golems to make good marks, focuses on using his Werewolves, gets good use out of Frenzy. Frenzy means if you take a block or a blitz and it results in a push, you have to follow up and blitz again or follow up and block again. So that could be very powerful, especially with claws, or it can be risky if you don't set up and are mindful of where that push is going to do. You really want to make sure that push gets you to a position where you'll get another two die block. But you can, you can very easily find yourself in a situation where you're taking your second block and it's uphill block and now you have a, but uh, dead Fred, 
didn't make those mistakes in week one, so can't imagine he'll make those mistakes in week two. He's got a ghoul that's leveled up. The ghouls have dodge. He leveled it up, gave him block. That's that blodge we talked about. Block and dodge. Only one die is going to knock him down, and they're fairly fast with an MAF-7. He'll make good use of that as well. With only one werewolf, he's filled in the gaps with two whites. The whites are basically the blitzers. They have the blitz skill. They're fairly fast as well. Everybody else is slow with an uh, MA of four, but the whites have an MA of six. So his game plan for this week, I, I'm i not sure. I, I think underworld teams are just really hard. I'm sorry, necro teams are really hard to play. I, I think if he can make good use of those flesh columns to, to mark the Sauruses, he'll have to get a zombie or two in there to lend an assist. But if he can shut down the Sauruses on Pips Pippy fan club, He's got a good shot. He's got the werewolves and the whites to run that ball down pitch. I think Pip's Pippy fan club just does what they they did in week one. I think they they play bashy. They play bashy, cage up on offense, on defense. They're they're not in bad shape. They have they have options. They could they could play a zone defense. They could screen out the offense. They could play man to man if they wanted to. They have lots of options because they're not lizardmen are not really slow. They have lots of players with MA six so. I, I, I'm going to predict this one's going to go to Pips Pippy Fan Club just because I think they're easier. I think they're less prone to error. But again, these are two teams that are currently 1-0 and both are good coaches. So who's to say what happens? I, I would love to see an Underworld team uh, teach me a lesson. <laughs> teach me, I'm sorry, Underworld, a Necro win. Teach me a lesson on, on how to play Necro. Necro, of course, can't have an Apothecary. They get a Necromancer instead. They also get regen on most of their players when they have a casualty. They get to roll a die on a 50-50. They just come back. They're regenerated. They're fine. But also, if they kill an opposing player with the Necromancer, they can resurrect that player as a zombie for their own team. That is not only thematically wonderful <laughs> to see, but it's also a way to save money, right? You get, you get back... A player, basically, you're, you're taking money out of your opponent's treasury. They paid for that player, and now it's yours. You don't have to pay for a new player. They just lost their player. It's it's really great. So we'll we'll see if maybe he leverages that too. You know, good necro coaches find opportunities to to bash down a player. The skinks are great opportunities for that, right? With an AV of seven, you can go after them, go strong, maybe even foul if you're really looking to get a free player out of it because you're gonna. You don't want a skink back, but you're not going to get a skink. You're going to get a zombie. So we'll see what he decides to do. Final game of the week will be Irish Wristwatch versus Dead Man's Party. This will be Necro versus Underworld. Irish Wristwatch is coached by Wenger. He is the runner-up of last season. He'll be against Dead Man's Party. This is Malik. He's a Necro team. I have no idea how this game's going to go. I don't know who to give this one to. <laughs> Venger and Irish Wristwatch, they're underworld. And as I've said, I think they're they're really hard to get going. Uh, when they're at low TV, that's when they're their weakest. Malik can take advantage of that. But Necro, like I've said, I think is hard to play. I think in week one, uh, Malik played it very bashy, uh, which is fine. But I don't think Necro quite has the bash that something like say, a Dwarven team or a Lizardman team has. I really think you need to protect 
or, or you have to make good use of the flesh golems and the werewolf. We saw he got those flesh golems locked down in week one, and that really hurt him. He wasn't able to get the flesh golems into position to use them. They only have an AG of two. So once they get locked down, they're locked down. Sure, he was getting the blocks. The flesh golems have a strength of four, and that's great. But he was getting blocks on players that were not in the drive, right? He, he was getting blocks on players that weren't doing anything to advance the ball down the pitch. And the same with the werewolves. The werewolves got locked down uh, pretty successfully by his opponent. I think if Malik sort of flips that around and says, you're not locking down my werewolves this week. You're not locking down my flesh columns this week. I'm going to use them the way I want to use them. Uh, and doesn't doesn't try to be quite so bashy. Uh, instead makes key, key marks, right? He can still bash. Everybody's got a strength of three except for the flesh columns that have a strength of four. But go after marks and blitzes and blocks that will advance your strategy. In other words, if you're on offense, does this help me secure the ball? Does this help me advance the ball? Does this help me protect the ball? And on defense, does this stop forward momentum of my of the offense? Does this help me crack their cage? Does this help me get at the ball? I think he'll be he'll be successful. And kudos to both these coaches. Necro and Underworld are hard teams to play. So I'm excited to see what both these coaches uh, do with it this week. Uh, teach, teach me, <laughs> teach me, senpai, <laughs> teach me how to play these teams. <laughs> but that'll that'll end week two. Week two will end on Monday. Uh, will end on Tuesday, January twenty fifth at midnight. So week three will begin at that same time, and that'll be the midpoint of Swiss rounds for the Chaos Cup. That'll be a a key round. So we'll see how everybody ends up at the end of week two, and then. Week three will be a very critical week for most most coaches. Currently in the standings, Tracksuit Mafia is in first place. They're 2-0. and They have a TD diff of four. They've scored four TDs, have let none up yet. Knee-high to Nuffles in second place. They're 1-1-0 with a TD diff of three. A Reptile Dysfunction in third. They're 1-1-0 as well with a TD diff of one. Pity the Ghouls in fourth. That's Dead Fred's team, the Necro team. He's 1-0 with a TD diff of 2. Pips Pippy Fan Club's in 5th place. 1-0-0 with a TD diff of 1. Take the Wood, Take the Bads currently in 6th. 0-0-1 with a TD diff of negative 1. Dead Man's Party in 7th. Tied with Irish Wristwatch. They're both 0-0-1 with a TD diff of negative 2. Neglected of Nuffle currently in 9th place. 0-0-2 with a TD diff of negative 3. And in 10th is a minor matter. Artificial Bunny's team, he's 0-0-1 with a TD diff of 3. Four teams have played their Week 2 games, six teams to go, so these standings will more than likely change a lot by the end of the week. I hope you guys will tune in. I hope you guys have fun. I hope you guys play Blood Bowl. It is a blast. You can pick up the game at your local friendly local game store, or you can play online with Blood Bowl 2. Blood Bowl 3 coming out at the end of this year. There is a closed beta that will, by the time you're hearing this, it'll be underway. It's only for people who participated in the beta uh, in the middle of last year. I'm excited to see what the team has done with it. Can't wait to get my, my hands on it next week and give it a test run. We'll let you know how it, how it played, how it fared. But yeah, so until... Episode 5. Take care, guys. Play Blood Bowl.
That'll do it for this episode. You can watch the Mid-Atlantic Mauling League on Twitch at twitch.tv slash aviaunit02. That's E-V-A-U-N-I-T, the letter O, the number 2. And watch archive games on YouTube at Blood Bowl M-A-M-L. You can also follow us on Twitter at Blood Bowl underscore Mammal or on Facebook at Blood Bowl Mammal. Play Blood Bowl. You can play Blood Bowl online via Blood Bowl 2 or in tabletop form via your friendly local game store. I'll see you back here for episode 4. Until then, be kind to each other, forgive everyone, praise Nuffle, and may he bless your dice.